Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 29th, 2023, or at least that's what the calendar says. Who knows what the date really is? How do we represent reality? That's been the theme of the show today. I had the, uh, the writer Clemence Michelin. She has a new book, The Quiet Tenant, a psychological thriller about a mass murder. It appears very real. Um, she was on the show, and we talked uh, about how... Um, in her view, as both a journalist and a fiction writer, novels must be more believable than nonfiction books because the world is a very, very strange place. My guest uh, right now knows that as well as anyone. Uh, Bill Boggs is a four-time Emmy winner. Um, he's a major celebrity. He's done television, movies, writing. Uh, and his way of representing reality is appropriately odd. Uh, he's the author of The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog, as told to Bill Boggs. It's a book about uh, a hit book back from 2020 about how uh, a dog uh, made sense of reality, learned to talk and appeared, uh, perhaps to prove his reality in our celebrity-obsessed culture, appeared to prove his existence on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Boggs is back, or should we say Spike is back with a, uh, a follow-up book, Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog Returns, and uh, as told to Bill, Do uh, Bill Boggs, and I'm sure uh, thrilled and honored that Bill is joining us right now from his home on the east end of Long Island. Welcome back, Bill. So, um, Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. You have an excellent show, and I love your title, getting your name in the title. Keen on, it's very, very good. Yeah, well, you know, you know, you you don't need me to tell you that Billy Boggs was a, a, a famously a homeless person, and you have a much bigger name than than me. Well, she uh, let me tell you the story. Uh, her her real name was Joyce Brown. I was on television at that time, basically a live show on Channel Five, midday live with Bill Boggs, and Joyce Brown started showing up in the audience and. It wasn't long before we realized that she was, I'm just telling you what we thought. She was obsessed with me. She would start talking to me and she wouldn't let me get away. She'd follow me. When she got in the audience, I had to sneak out the back door. Eventually, we wouldn't let her in. And then she ended up deteriorating mentally, Joyce Brown did. And she was sleeping on the streets. She was the first person, Joyce Brown, taken off the streets against her will by the Koch administration on her 18 degree night. When they brought her in, she said, I'm Billy Boggs. My, my husband is Bill Boggs. She named herself after me. And I'll just, that, that is how Billy Boggs came to be, claiming right. to be my wife. I've had some wives, but none of them were as bad as that one. Wow, you you have had some wives, Bill. Um, you've been you've you've had four wives. Um, how'd you manage that one? Well, you live long enough, you know, you can accumulate a lot of things. You know, that's why people have storage bins that put the stuff in there. One was uh, annulled; it never should have happened. Uh, the second one was to the brilliant writer Leslie Bennett's, and it was like a hippie wedding. And uh, I remember the pictures. I'm there in a white suit with the bell bottoms and. 
And that didn't last long, but Leslie and I have maintained a, an intimate, well, platonic friendship since we got divorced. And we got divorced in the 70s. And then uh, the mother of my child, Linda Thorson, you may remember her from Noises Off and yeah. uh, various television shows. Um, she had, uh, we got married, she had Trevor. And then the, the last and probably Carol Campbell, which was about uh, 15 years ago, unfortunately she died. So uh, that's a, a brief history of my marital strife and life. But um, like I said, if you live long enough, you can accumulate a lot of things. Yeah, now you're on, well, you're, you're, you're living with someone, you're not quite married well, yet. Well, uh, Jane Rothschild, uh, my former girl, was my former girlfriend. We were together 12, 12 and a half years and had an amicable parting on March 22nd. No big deal, no yelling, no screaming, nothing like that. Um, I don't Can we, to... um, yeah. so, so how does uh, Spike fit in here? Girlfriend, husband, wife, best friend. What, 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 why, why did you invent Spike the Wonder Dog, Bill? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, six, uh, Andrew, about six, seven years ago, my last television show, which is called My Generation, went off the air. And um, I was at that point, you know, hitting big 70 in age. And I realized, you know, I've been around so long. I've had 15 different shows. I've done well. No one's really looking for a, a guy my age, you know, to start something. And that's understandable. I replaced older people when I came along. So I was standing in the middle of my living room, and I, you know, I've got all this creative energy, always have. And I just said, from this point forward, I'm going to be a writer. I, I had written one novel in the early 80s that ended up being uh, optioned by Renee Zellweger many years later. I wrote a self-help book and I've been writing all my life. And I just vowed, that's it. So now I identify as a writer, not a TV host. And I had this idea, it was this. When I was in North Carolina, High Point, North Carolina, on a station down there, I had a show called Southern Exposure. My own dog on the show was a dog like this, an English Bull Terrier. I'm sure you recognize yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Spike the Wonder Dog. This is little Spike. And he, the dog got more mail than I did. He was hysterical on television. In fact, if we go to my YouTube channel, Bill Box TV, there's a video of Spike driving my car from all those years ago. Anyway, so here's what happened. I thought, what if Spike got killed right before I came to New York, Andrew, hit by a drunk driver? No, what? I'm sure about that. Came to New York with a guy like me, a talk show host, from High Point, North Carolina, and became a huge TV and social media star. And I sat down because I thought, I want to try to write this. But the key with writing is you've got to sit down and just start. And within 15 minutes, the voice of the dog, the, Spike the Dog, narrates the book. Spike Unleashed and the other one, the original one, the adventure, he narrates the book. The comedic point of view, the observational point of view of Spike in Spike Unleashed in the first book came through me within 15 minutes. I had it like this. I was writing satire in a voice with a texture I had never had in my life. And that's how it came to be. It was part, partly just, what do I do now? I'm probably not going to be on TV anymore. And I'm going to write. And that spike idea, I can't remember when that hit me, but I remember when I sat down and did it, which is the key thing. 
sit down, you want to write something, write, and then continue to write and edit. I, the current book, I went through it three times to tighten it up and edit it. Bill, um, yeah. you mentioned that Spike is satire. Do you think you're a natural satirist? What are you trying yes. to satirize in the book? What What's the point of Spike? Oh, please, uh, you know, <laughs> Andrew, this crazy culture we live in. Um, I'll give you I'll give you one example. So a guy comes on the show, the TV show that that Bud and and Spike have. Spike's there every day in a little doghouse on the show. And um, he's doing a food demo. And he comes on and he said, you know, men today are angry. A lot of men are really angry. We're angry at this. We're angry at that. And all these different things, right? Men are angry. He says, so I've created a product serving the new anger market. Now, that's satire right there, taking it up. And basically what the guy has created is something called Angry Men Meals, which are just terrible meals laced with steroids. So if you start out with an angry man breakfast, you're pumping up like this all during the day. They'll keep you keep you going. And he goes on and on about the angry man meals. So it's taking satire, taking elements of our culture, celebrity worship, for example. Um, the book kind of opens in a big scene. Like, I love that big scene of The Godfather. So I thought I'll open with a big scene. And oh, you mean uh, Godfather 1 or 2 with the wedding? Both. Both. Both open with big scenes. Um, well, Godfather 1 opens with the guy saying, I believe in America. And, that and then it goes to the wedding. So the book opens in High Point, North Carolina, where it starts. It proceeds to go out to Palm Beach, Manhattan, out here in East Hampton. But it opens where Spike and Bud, where, where Spike and Bud lived. And it opens on the Kardashian Day Parade. Because um, one of the Kardashians, Spike isn't sure which one, has come to High Point for the first time. Can you distinguish part. between these Kardashians, Bill? Is it possible? Can a dog or even a human distinguish? Don't they all look the same? Uh, exactly right. You have enough injectables. I'll look like a Kardashian. With an yeah. Anyway, so the simple the satire here is with the Kardashians up the top. This Kardashian Day Parade is so big that the people think it's the most important day in the history of the city more important than when Eisenhower marched down Main Street, the same route with the first airborne division at the end of World War II. So it's sending up this worship of celebrities and so many different things passed through. Yeah, talk, talk to me a little. We, we had, um, and I'm sure you you know him, uh, Lanny Jones on the show. Um, recently, he has a new book out. He's one of the inventors of celebrity culture in America, a new book out, Celebrity Nation, How America Evolved into a Culture of Fans and Followers. Like, uh, like Lanny it. Jones, um, uh, Bill, you've had a front row on this. And in fact, in some ways, you're a participant. What has happened in America over the last 40 or 50 years to turn it into a celebrity nation? That's well, the, more. It's a big question more outlets for celebrities. If you go back, the creation of People magazine, way back in the late 60s, mm. early 70s. Where Lanny was, where he made his name, ironically, you know. Yeah. The, the creation of People magazine was one of the first things that just took celebrities and there was a whole magazine surrounding them. And then with syndicating programming on television, like... Inside Edition, A Current Affair, they, they, they followed that route. 
more media outlets, celebrities themselves seeking uh, seeking fame, seeking more followers. And then, of course, when social media hits, we have people who are major celebrities now that, that Andrew, you and I have never heard of. But within the niche with which they exist on social media, they're really big celebrities. So the man who nailed it was Andy Warhol when he said at some point in the future, everybody's going to have 15 minutes of fame. And that you, can, you cannot really refute that sentence in today's culture. One of the things in Spike Unleashed, to send, many things sending up celebrity culture, is there's a lot of inventions in, in the book. And this guy has invented celebrity breath strips. And you know those little Listerine green? Yeah, yeah. These, it's just like that, except he has patented a way to take the actual scent of celebrities' breath, whether it's Harrison Ford, um, whoever, whoever it might be, right? Taylor Swift. And you put one of these in your mouth and you can have, if you're a man, you can smell like Harrison Ford, a woman, a fan of, Taylor Swift, you can smell like her celebrity breath strips. Now, you tell me that that would not be a successful product, but it's a send-up of the celebrity culture we live in, Andrew. How, how do you explain it, Bill? You, you've you've <laughs> lived in, you know, you were born in America. America was supposed to be this country of equality, of democracy, and yet it's the country that has defined and refined and made celebrity culture almost absurd. What is it about America that attracts the following of celebrities at the Harrison Fords and the Taylor Swifts of the world, who you know better than I do. They're no, they're no more they're generally no more talented or beautiful or interesting than you or I or any of our listeners and viewers. Well, media, media makes it. I mean, there were always celebrities who go back years on television to Barbara Stanwyck, Tyrone, Tyrone Power. There always have been celebrities, but it's just it's just difficult to nail such a big question. One of the one of the things I when you first started to ask that question, I was going to talk about it is it, like the disappearance of the middle class in America, uh, or maybe it's we don't have a, a royal family. We don't have somebody to look up like to like that. Honestly, it's such a big question. I I can make fun of it without really knowing the origins of it. Of Bill, you, you talked about this um, culture of anger. Are you angry about this? Is this your way of channeling your anger in a, in a coherent, interesting, important way? 100%. 100%. Uh, one of the things in the book, uh, and it's difficult to take things out of context and explain it. There are a lot of inventions in the book. One character in the book who, is, who has served uh, three tours of duty in Iraq um, has a huge killing with Bitcoin. He's got millions and millions of dollars. Excusing that phrase after Iraq, killing, right? Yeah, no, not. Well, that's one of the things. But, but, he, but he suffers from post-traumatic stress syndrome. And he was a captain, and some of his men have the same problem. They call him in the middle of the night. So he goes away to a treatment center in upstate New York, which soon will be legalized, where they're treating people with psilocybin and so forth. And while he's on a trip, he's, it's almost like a combination. It's like a Disney movie. Every, he's in this small town and everyone is being so polite and so civil. And the word civility, civility comes into his mind. So when he comes down from the trip, 
he decides we're going to take this millions and millions of dollars that he has and create something called the civility project. Now, isn't that a nice idea? I've had that idea for years. If someone would just say, let's try to be a more civil nation. Let's not pull out a gun and shoot somebody because they got the parking space in front of me. Right. So he invests in the book, all this money into it. But sadly, there's a quick summary of it. The civility project fails for lots of different reasons. The NRA is against it because basically they say, well, you know, shooting somebody is it civil and we don't want, you know, we want to stand for civility. And a woman says, you know, you're trying to make my son into a wimp. If he wants to call his teacher an asshole, he has a right to call his teacher an asshole. So the whole thing fall, fails because people are so pissed yeah, off. And that's about entirely it. realistic. That's what's happening. It? Yes, it is. It's that astonishing, is. though. You know, in a funny way, it comes back to my conversation with uh, Clemence. Um, the book uh, is, suggests that really the only down-to-earth figure, the only believable character in the book is the dog itself or himself. Spike <laughs> is real and everyone else is absurd. Is that fair? Well, not everybody. There are some, you know, the people around Bud, his owner, his owner is an absurd. But the Spike is really, if you're analyzing it, he's a dog and he's observing humans from another reality. It's like E.T., he is just looking at our foibles, our excesses, and so forth, and commenting on them. Uh, a school of comedy that pretty much you see with Jerry Seinfeld and the late David Brenner was one of the fathers of this, is observational comedy. And what Spike essentially is, and Spike the Wonder Dog uh, was called the last book that Winston Groom, who wrote Forrest Gump, reviewed. Yeah, would review books from time to time was the first book. That book was on the screen. And Winston Groom said, this is the funniest dog who's ever appeared in, in fiction, which I was. And also the saddest that. dog, because the, the, the humor and the sadness go together, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do in a way. Well, uh, Spike, Spike you know, like me, is pretty much an optimist, I'd say, Andrew. But looking at our society, there's just so much. That, so, like, for example. Uh, all the, the sex shows on television, I say like The Bachelor and this and that, you know, and uh, people's concern about God, male concern about their sexual performance, female concern. I invented the thing, an invention of the book is this thing called the sex bit, S-E-X-B-I-T. It's a take up on the fit bit, except right. you, each partner wears this during sex and they get a score for how well they satisfy the other person. So, this leads into a whole thing with Bud's girlfriend is constantly wearing the thing and he feels like he's, she, it's like a polyamorous relationship. She's also having sex with this ex Navy SEAL and it's like insecurity over sex. It's, but again, I find it difficult to just pull out threads from the book. Yeah, that doesn't, but, I mean, the, the stuff that you've talked about so far in terms of invention doesn't seem very unrealistic. I, I'm no, guessing there may even be a product no, like that. The concept of a sex bit which is the invention I came up with and the Spike Unleashed is a perfectly normal idea for a product. There's another product in there. Um, there's one of my favorite characters in the book is Saul, the old Swede Silverman, who's about 92 years old, but he pretends he's a hundred because he's like, a, he is the archetypical horny old man. Yeah. And so Viagra and Apple, 
have combined on the V plus watch, which is a watch that has a little needle in it that injects heavy duty doses of Viagra into uh, this 92 year old guy on a time basis. Now, the only problem, Andrew, is that if it doesn't go quite right, if the carburetors don't work on the set, on, on the uh, on the V plus watch, there's a rigidness in the arms and legs. So there's this whole scene where he's on this day uh, in his house, but suddenly he's talking to her like this, and yeah. it goes into it. But there's you, another. You mentioned um, you mentioned Viagra. You mentioned other drugs. All of which, of course, are addictive. Now we have pills being marketed. Bill, maybe you satirize them in the book. Uh, thin pills that stop fat people eating. Yeah, I don't. Know is much is one of in terms of satirizing America and this obsession with celebrity. We're addicted to it. Is the biggest problem with America addiction broadly in cultural and physiological sure. terms? Oh, without question. I mentioned before the disappearance of the middle class in America, uh, the opioid, the horrible thing that happened with opioids in the Sacco family and, and others that to create a generation of addicted people, empty lives, replacing them with pills and, or heroin or whatever it is, without question, or food, food can be a major addiction, substituting for something else. I recognize that obesity is seen as a disease, yeah, I, under, I understand that. Uh, but why in a, why is America like the most, other than I think Fiji, the most um, obese nation in, in the world? Uh, one time I was doing a live show down at, uh, I think you'll like this one. I was down at, at Disney World in Florida and we were shooting a thing at this pavilion, uh, the Showcase of Nations, and we had to be there at seven in the morning. It took about two hours shoot. And it was a, I was tired, so I was just sitting on a bench. I had two hours until I had to do my next thing. And then I noticed people walking by, and like very, very heavy people. Uh, sick people here, and then two, and then another four, and then more and more. And I actually thought, well, there must be like the American Association for Fat Americans is having a convention here. A perfectly right. logical thought? No, the park had just opened. They were just patrons of the park. And I thought, mm. I often wonder, like when you're in, when we, many of us Americans are in other countries and you see this 300 pound person come waddling out, you know, of a restaurant and with a husband and the little children, uh, what people think of that and how that reflects on, on our culture of excess, of excess. It's certainly a culture of excess. Um, you know, there's a lot of politics implicitly or otherwise in your book. Interesting piece in the FT this morning on what um, good paper, Jemima, good paper. yeah, excellent paper. Jemima Kelly calls the irresistible comedic value of Trump. Yes, I'm guessing, Bill, you're not probably. I assume you've come across Donald Trump over the years. Yeah. I'm guessing you're probably not a big fan. How do we make sense of him? What would Spike think of Donald Trump, or what does Spike think of Donald? Well, okay. Uh, Spike, gets, Spike gets nearly electrocuted early in the book, within the first chapter. And he, uh, he goes into like a, a trance. He's unconscious for about five hours. And Bud, his owner, says, Spike, you, you must have been hallucinating. I had no idea what was going on, but like you were waving your paws for an hour. It turns out that Spike was hallucinating 
that he was at the MGM Grand Hotel and that Donald Trump is having an event uh, that was hosted by Geraldo Rivera with Mike Pence, who wasn't talking to Trump, but Mike Pence and the uh, Mike Pence Irish dancers. Anyway, the event was to take off on Geraldo Rivera's thing, uh, under, uncovering the mysteries of Al Capone's vault. This was called Uncovering the Mysteries of Donald Trump's Hair. And yeah. Geraldo was cutting off one snip at a time. People paid $150 pay-per-view to see what Trump really looked like, bald, right? Because he's got a flip, a flap, and a flop there. Uh, and But really, it was just a, an advertisement for Trump hair, no longer Trump air. They replaced that sign with an H um, and trying to make money with the former leader of the free world selling wigs. But what she wrote about in the Financial Times, which I have not read, it's a, it, Donald Trump is an excellent performer. He is, uh, and forget the reality of performing on TV. He knows how to entertain people. And much of our presidential politics is entertainment. I mean, how many people are just hoping and praying that uh, former Governor Chris Christie, because of his tremendous uh, wit, he's a very funny guy, yeah. gets, gets into the debates so you can see him what, what perform. And every once in a while, like Gail Collins uh, in the New York Times will refer to Joe Biden as boring, okay? That is a term for... Uh, and that's a, comp that's a compliment, I think, for Biden. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying there is you might describe a performer like that. How was the show? Well, you know, the singer was kind of boring. So what, what's behind Donald is a tremendous perf performance knowledge. And whether you like him or hate him, he's been able to captivate... 30% of the population with, with those abilities, for sure. Are we entertaining ourselves to death, Bill? A subject, the title of a famous book from 1984. Um, is that the problem? Is that we, we can't be serious in America and everything is entertainment, everything is celebrity? Well, much, much is entertainment. Yeah, for sure. Not everything. I mean, when you have, by the way, I read this morning in the New York Times that Robert Kennedy is blaming school shootings on vaccines. I don't know, I don't know yeah. where that goes. That just popped into my mind. No, not everything is entertainment, but maybe more is entertainment than it should be. But as the late comedian, singer, Jimmy Durante said famously, Dems to conditions that prevail. That's just the way things are. It's not going back. It's not, it's not, it's not going to retreat. We have to adjust simply to the way it is. Uh, for a long time, the man who had the most hair won the presidency. You could go all the way back. I think the last the, the last man who did not have the the only man who did not have the most hair who did not win the presidency was Dukakis. So that alone is kind of an interesting thing. Well, right? yeah, Gerald yeah. Ford famously yeah. lost, right? Yeah, that's that that's a, that's like an old odd statistic. We had someone on the show, Bill, last year, a technologist who believed that we're developing digital technology that would allow us to talk to other species, birds, trees, maybe dogs. If we could talk to Spike, you know, when we think of our dogs, they look at up as this, they always seem wiser, perhaps, than they are. What do you think? And I mean, well, I guess that's the point of Spike Unleashed. But 
What do you think our dogs would tell us? Would they lecture us? Would they sympathize? But first thing he would say would be, buy the book. Then the second second thing he would say is, you have no idea how much I know about you. You, for example, and this is allegedly proven by animal psychologists. I, I saw this in a documentary about our pets, right? You can walk in, you have, a, you have a dog, and you've had the dog for a couple of years. You know the dog, the dog knows you. You can walk into the house, and within 30 seconds, that dog has a sense of how you really feel that day, what your emotional landscape is, are you happy, are you this, are you that, without you saying anything. So there's a huge amount in the animal kingdom that would be uniquely interesting to communicate with for sure. I don't, I don't know about my plants. I don't know about my tropical fish and I'll let them swim around, but that, that's a really interesting concept, Andrew. What do you, what would you like? I mean, I guess that's the point of, of this spike series of books to, to be told how to live or what we should and shouldn't think by another species who we trust. That's the irony is we trust our dogs. We don't trust each other, Bill. Isn't that the truth? You know, I, uh, Right, right now, I'm thinking about getting an animal, getting getting a dog. But uh, it's just a personal note. I my life is so fluid. I'm not talking sexually fluid. I'm talking as I move around a lot. I want to go to Palm Beach and run a place down there. I don't know if I could do it now, but I know I've had dogs in the past. I'd be enormously enhanced if I had one now. Finally, Bill, uh, the, the, these books need to be on the screen. Are we going to get a South Park version? Are we going to get a graphic yeah, version? Spike on, on the screen. screen, and we want the book, and the book's just out. But what about some uh, some television shows around it? I can see Spike being a, a, a major TV star. Oh, you're nice to say that, Andrew. The goal with this, uh, and my son and I are working on this. That's Trevor, right? Getting, yeah, getting creating a movie or an animated strip adult TV series. This this is an adult book. This is like an R-rated yeah, this book. Is, this is South Park, isn't Not, it? Uh, if you want to hear, you know, have, everybody has a bad agent story, Andrew. So I was, the first book, I was looking for an agent for the first book. And I send the guy the manuscript and so forth. Yeah, that's a book there. And this, this agent who was a major agency, major agent, Weeks go by. I'm not making any progress. What's happening? I'll get to it. I'll read it this weekend. Now, the book is called The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog. So he said, call me on Tuesday. So I call him on Tuesday. And this is what he says. Bill, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What do I have here? Is this a children's book? I mean, what is it? There's a dog? And I said, well, uh, no. Um, Why would you think it's a children's book when there's a blowjob on page 12? Uh, oh, oh I, I, I must have missed that. I'll, I'll get back to you. So <laughs> that's. Ray enjoyed the blowjob, right? It's an adult book. 